We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. In his pre-match comments, Arson says that Arsenal must be wary of West Brom's set-piece threat. Can you guess what happened next? We'll reveal that and more on this edition of the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Uh, we are going to do kind of a bumper podcast today. So I've invited some specialists on. Uh, Tim was sick anyway, so we wish him the best. Um, apparently, his trip to West Brom made him ill. Uh, I didn't even go to West Brom, and what I saw made me ill, so I can thoroughly understand where he's coming from. Uh, so we're going in a different direction. We're going to have some specialists. Uh, I'd like to introduce them now. The first is our aviation specialist. His name is Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Pause in My Pants. Hello, Paul. Uh, Roger. Roger. Over, under, and out. And uh, next, we do have our Hong Kong fan correspondent here. His name is Clive. You can find him on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive, and thanks for joining us all the way from Hong Kong. Oh, thanks for having me. Can't wait. Yeah, no, it's going to be great. Uh, we are going to get to uh, planes, aviation, Hong Kong fans, conspiracy theories, what John Cross knew and when. Uh, Tony Pulis's confidant would not come on the program today uh, because I called him a cunt. But we've got so much to cover. Let's, do, let's just do a tiny bit of football first. Does that feel like the right way to start? Yeah, let's give it a go. Okay. We'll give a variety. It a go. Paul, real quick, I'll start with you. I mean... Is it a credit to the manager that he recognized that set pieces were going to be a potential issue, or is there something worryingly ironic about calling them out as a specific concern ahead of the match and then defending them uh, as though we were doing some kind of Dancing with the Stars choreography? Uh, we were zonally marking whatever zone the ball wasn't going to, whatever analogy you want to make here. Um, 
Is that a little bit worrying that for a match where we knew where the specific threat was coming from, we looked so ill-prepared to deal with it? Well, look, there's just no way to slice it that the answer won't be a little bit worrying. It's just a question of what kind of little bit of worrying uh, you see it as or your your predilection <laughs> is. It's it's what flavor would you like? Because just real quick, I, did you see that image, yeah. the screenshot? I actually think it might have been from the second one. I, I'm not sure. The first or the second corner goal, take a pick. Um, but it does appear that all the Arsenal players are just jammed into like the left corner of the goal, and there's, like, no one on the right side. So, I mean, this isn't just I one of those... I think that was the second goal, okay. yeah. Yeah, so I only bring that up because, I mean, this isn't really hashtag narrative. Like, clearly, whatever the plan was didn't work. Yeah, I'm just watching the second, or if you like, the thir- the second cross and the third goal, yeah. Right. I mean, they they to be fair, they start off in the right positions, right-ish, for our zonal marking. But as the ball, as they move with their men, as the ball moves... Uh, West Brom go one way and we all go the other way. Um, So uh, it's clear from everybody that everybody who talked about it is associated with the club that we must have, that we did do preparation for these free kicks. So it really is what kind of, of, uh, you know, what kind of bad news do you want to take out of it? Because... We did work. Did we do enough work? Uh, to me, the real issue at the moment is um, I don't think we've ever quite seen the club under Wenger in this state. And I think it's it's just the downward funk of the club. I mean, you can there, there have been plenty of games where we could criticize the defending and the marking at set pieces. The manager interestingly said, We've done all right statistically from set pieces. Um, I think there have been periods during the season where, we, where we've been worse and periods where we've been okay. He probably has a point that statistically overall we haven't been that terrible. I think if there's truth to that, then what that tells you at the moment is we're shit at set pieces now because we're actually kind of shit. We're kind of fragile and ready to break across the board and it's always something you know this was i don't know how many games in a row now where we've had this wasn't a great first half but it it was okay you know had we kept it going in the second half um this might have been a decent story where we got stronger and stronger as we went but you know the first two halves against barn this half against west brom all somewhere between good very good or decent uh, in each game, we lose a key player, um, either before or after halftime, and we turn to utter shit. And I think it's just the fra- fragility, the mentality, which tells you, um, and, and not this usual suspicion that Arsenal are weak or we're soft or whatever. I mean, we may or may not be, but this is different. There is a quality about this fragility that tells you uh, something is rotten in the state of Denmark. Yeah, and Th- I think things just aren't right. Yeah, I, I think that's fair, and I think maybe the the real issue comes from the other end of the pitch because I can remember Arsenal being worse at set piece defending and being worse at defending. Period, uh, throughout the second act of Arsenal's tenure, where we were still exhilarating to watch and where we still stuck to our our guns as as being an attacking side. And over the last few years, we've seen more of this sort of sterile domination concept creep in. And Clive, I guess my question to you is. 
more worrying than conceding three at West Brom, two of which are you know traditional sort of Pulis goals, right? Just crowding the box and over overpowering our our poorly defended corners. Um, is the bigger worry the the lack of chances created? I mean, our old friend XG tells us that this was a deserved West Brom win. I think it was you know nearly two to one almost on XG. And so I, I guess my question to you is is was the concern for you not so much the the shambles defending set pieces, but the sterile domination, the lack of real dynamic attacking play? It's a bit of both, really. I mean, in in Wenger's twenty years, he has played Tony Pulis' teams a few times, and the number one thing Pulis does is he makes sure that he has a physical team against us, like many teams. You know, Fergie was the first one to unlock it. Many other managers have come along and said, get physical with them, get back into your shape. The fullbacks will push up and then we'll pop in behind them on the counter-attack. Just stay close to them. They'll eventually overplay and give you a chance. If we get set-piece, we'll just overload them because they're small, they're light, they can't physically match us. What we've got to do is stop them getting into a rhythm. And it is, this is nothing new to you guys. I mean, you, we all know this. But we forget. We forget as a club. And we forget as fans. Because when the team came out, I'm looking at it thinking, yeah, that's quite a good team. Yeah. So straight away, straight away, my brain flicks. And we all do it. We imagine the players on the ball in our minds. We go, oh, wow, he got Octay Chambers in the middle. We've got Ramsey in the midfield three. Great. He can break forward. We've got Alexis left. Or maybe, maybe Welbeck will go left. And we imagine them in our minds on the ball. And what we don't realise, and we always forget, is that a vast majority of the game is what you do off the ball. And off the ball, we are a very, very poor side. It's as simple as that. And whether it be set pieces, whether it be one-on-one duels. And, you know, a good, a good friend of mine said to me, he put a bet on before the game. He wasn't sure to go West Brom or Arsenal. He's not an Arsenal fan. But he said, you know what? He bet on West Brom. And this, what he said to me was, I bet on them because I knew it would be men against boys. And sometimes you need someone from the outside to tell you about your own team because we're like too we're too close to the situation. We can't see always clearly. And the, and when the, when the game started, I'm I'm looking at Johnny Evans stride out from defence, the same Johnny Evans that many fans laughed at when we were thinking about buying him. He's holding Aaron Ramsey off of his right arm and just running out. And Aaron Ramsey's scratching around his ankles like a puppy dog. I'm thinking this isn't right. We're meant to be elite. You know, we're meant to be an elite team. Physically, we don't match these teams on the ball or off the ball. We don't win our one-on-one duels. So what we do is we play around them. We pass safely. We create a sterile domination, as you say. But while we're doing that, all they're doing is defending narrow, waiting for the cross ball with their four centre-halves playing in the back four. And when it comes in, they compete and head it out. And then they break. And they break at speed. And um, we're not learning. We're not learning as a... As a set of fans, we forget. And, uh, and as, as also, also the people are getting paid the millions a year to actually set our team up properly to compete physically with them first and then outplay them later in the game. The coaching staff are not learning. So if, you know, if I pick a hindsight team now, if, for example, we played El Nenny, Shaka, taller centre midfield, we played Giroud, we played Welbeck, we played Sanchez, if we played Mustafi at right back and maybe brought Mertesacker in, if I said that before the game, people would have thought, you're crazy, Clive. After the game, it sort of makes sense. 
well, these guys are paid to have pre-hindsight before the game, and they're just not doing it, and we're not being prepared to um, to compete quite at the moment, and we're not being prepared for top-level football. Yeah, and I'm afraid it's, it's it's plainly obvious, isn't it? Yeah, and I'm not sure that it's anything particularly new. Um, but you know, you look at Manchester City, and I mean, they played a team against Liverpool that, at least in, ahead of the, the back four, and even in, if you want to include some of the back four, there's not anyone in that side that has the remotest interest in defending. Um, they went out there with a team that was dynamic and attack-minded, and it led to a exciting game of football that they arguably could have won or lost, but at least that dynamism of the players they chose was reflected in the performance that they put in. So, you know, that that to me is what's worrying is, you know, we're, we're picking sides now, you know, we've got the midfield three, there's plenty of attacking talent in there, and the fact that they're not able to create the chances, that they're not able to build the play through midfield and, and move, and, you know, he got it right. He picked a mobile front line, but Paul, I want to ask you something. I mean, I, I know we, we've gone over this just a little bit, but putting aside what Alexis wants or doesn't want, we've seen Alexis from the left for a lot of his Arsenal career, and in particular last season where it sort of bogged down and he struggled. I mean, he was such a dynamic presence through the center, and it allowed him to drop deep and facilitate and, and spot runs and play long balls and also turn either direction and, and give those big center halves from a lot of these uh, lesser sides problems is it kind of a head scratcher for you that I, I mean? We last time, last pod, I said that we've abandoned it, and you said, "Well, we're not, we're not sure we've abandoned it." But given that he once again wasn't picked there on this day, I mean, w- would you say that that it's kind of a head scratcher why that's happened? Well, I, I did think you'd bring it up. Um, it's certainly one of the questions. Uh, uh, given that Danny and himself would so easily interchange anyway. Um. And given that his tendency often is to drop to that that pocket on the left and, you know, pick his head up and decide where he's going to put in the cross, I don't know that it would... Do you think it would have made that much difference in this kind of game? Do you think that was... You know, to me, the big miss up front, given we had, what, 73% of possession or something, 75, something pretty big, um, was... This was a classic game where Ozil in some form is what you want in the final third, putting in those those balls, those crosses. Chaka did pretty good, and once or twice uh, Ox did pretty good. And the other person who's pretty good at that is Alexis himself, stepping on the ball. You know, he's not going to be the biggest player. So um, against four centre-backs, I'm sure he would have spent most of his time drifting out to that left wing. And the goal came from him, you know, taking us wide, uh, beautiful trap. I don't know how he got so much space, but beautiful trap over to the left. Um, and, you know, to be fair, we looked well in the game before he got nobbled. So uh, I see where you're going on the attacking thing, but uh, I'm with Clive on this. The thing that most disturbs me is us without the ball, and not just defensively. And not just the fact that we're a bunch of short arses. Yeah, no, the, the uh, spacing, we, the positioning, the failure to make make runs for each other, to show for each yeah, other. I mean, there are a lot of times yeah, when that ball's yeah. at Bellerin's feet where there's no one within 15 yards of him. There's no one making runs. You know, at the beginning of the season, Paul, to your point, when things were working, granted Alexis was central and Awobi was left, but we were playing those little triangles, Ozil, Awobi, Alexis on the left, and then the runners on the far side were creating 
uh, we, they, we were creating overloads in the channels and, and opening up space on the other side. Those players aren't getting close enough to each other anymore. They're not involving each other. You're not seeing the, the proper spacing in the runs, and that's what leads yeah. to that lateral, lackadaisical, sterile domination passing uh, um, tendency that we saw on this day. But, I mean, admittedly, and, and while I don't disagree, look, I mean, Alexis is still Alexis. He can be good from the left. It's not like he's shit on the left or not. I just think it, it seems strange to me and and telling to me that the manager never really saw him as the solution there, I guess, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I see where you're going. And that may, you know, you could say that's being proven out. But I've still got an open mind on that. I still think right now he's struggling for an answer. And it's not just about it's Alexis. It's about who his front three is. And depending on who the front three is and who the opposition is. I mean, you could see why Alexis at center forward uh, in this game, the manager is thinking, well, the first fucking thing he's going to do is head out to the wing anyway. Danny's six foot two. Uh, how about we just switch them around beforehand and, uh, you know, Alexis be dangerous from the left. And he scored, he's still scoring plenty of goals from the left. So it, it's not, not the craziest decision I've ever no, heard. No, no. Had he played, he's a great yeah. player. I, I mean, see, that's the thing, right? It's not my point. Isn't so much that yeah. you put him on the left and he's shit, and the whole thing goes to hell. I, I think it's more just, you know, the center forward position is arguably the most important position in all of football. And you look at some of the people that Arson has chosen center forward. I mean, Robin Van Persie is not your traditional number nine. Um, he played center forward in a way that suited us, and I, I think Alexis is capable of that. I, Claude. Claude. Clive, <laughs> definitely not Claude. Um, <laughs> man, before, what the fuck before, you make me? Boy, boy, have I just what downgraded your contribution to this podcast. <laughs> I, I have to be, to be honest, I, I actually uh, don't know Claude, so maybe he is uh, far more articulate and intelligent than any of us when not ranting on Arsenal Fan TV. But, um, Clive, for, well, first let me just give you a, a chance to, to answer the, um, the Alexis question i mean do you, do you have anything you want to add to that in terms yeah, of I do, why we're I not do, seeing actually, there? Yeah. yeah go ahead I, I thought it's a poor decision not to play him there at the weekend and the reason why because the way he is now our go-to player so we see him almost like the person we give the ball all the time to get us going so you need him centrally right so and you need him even more so centrally when Urzel isn't there who's our other go-to player the one we give the ball to that gives us that technical security so Alexis is technically risky on the ball. We know he takes risks. At least he's still got the confidence and the bravery to take risks because many of the others haven't. So to have him central and have your two sort of, you know, wing forwards, striker forwards out wide with a simpler job, which is basically take your movement from what Alexis does. And and that that's I think it makes it makes us more dynamic that way, a little bit more unpredictable because Alexis is unpredictable. And when the ball goes to him, we become limitless. But if you put him on the left, I think we become more limited because mm-hmm. all he can do is come inside. And um, so I felt if you're going to play... Don't, the, the only don't, way we were going to get any space here was on the diagonals. And, you know, who's Chelsea's go-to player when they're building play? Hazard. Where Where is he attacked from? The left. So Well, and, what he does, Paul, what he does, Paul, I, I, I counter that, right? What he does is he loiters on the semicircle. He loiters on the semicircle for the counter-attack. And he's the first person they go to. And he travels with the ball centrally. And the other two take movements off of him. He is there like, 
faster Ozil, if you see what I mean, a bit more of a striker dynamic to him. I just felt if we had Alexis Central, and I, I may not have said this so vehemently, if Ozil was playing, because if Ozil's playing, we'd give him the ball to him, and then he gives it to Alexis, and we build from there. With no Ozil, we have Ramsey is a bit more of a player that receives the ball on the move, higher up. We've got Oxay Chamberlain and Shaka playing closer together. So we lack the link. We lack the passing link centrally. Alexis could have done that and he could have set our, you know, fast physical runners from who are wide out to in runs in on those diagonals. And he given that freedom to be that nine and a half, ten player that we missed with Ozil not being there. Then suddenly Ramsey becomes a viable body because he can make runs off of Alexis more centrally. And I just think we by moving him centrally, we get two or three more players playing better. But, off but of the centre is blocked with four centre backs. I mean, the, uh, absolutely. There's, there's going to be no. Um, we weren't hitting them on the counter. We had best part of nearly eighty percent. I mean, they you were. Should, set, you should be able uh, to work the channels. I mean, right? They don't have the mobility, and and they don't have the fleetness of foot to cope with overloads in the channels, especially when you're playing centre backs at fullback. And you know, I, I mean, I but, think. But if you've got the wide spaces, or half of what you're going to do is putting the ball on the floor into the centre, and yeah. when that doesn't work, you're going to put it into some height. Well, well that's Paul, Danny. I, I sort of, I think on the day with the players that we picked, I would have preferred them that way around. But let's think back to, I went to the home game, and um, the home game, we didn't break them down till late, did we, in the home game? And I think it was Giroud that scored late in the home game. I think it was an aerial ball. I mean, it's not easy to break this team down. I think physically now, these teams can run with us fight with us and make it difficult for us and it's not easy i agree I, I just think if you give the ball to alexis in the middle on the edge of the area with the ability he's not to turn gonna get it, away. it in the middle though no I mean, no he's just not I mean, ahead of the ahead of that back four right Bet between the lines and yeah in just front pulling of the back him out four, pulling him out a little bit just pulling him out well, a little what's bit he gonna do all he can well, do from there is spread it wide because well, you're not no, going through the middle. No, but I think what he can do, Paul, first of all, he's really the only guy in that team that can play a through ball. I mean, I hate to say it, but that's not really a quality of the other guys. If Ramsey is a secondary runner or Ox or Theo or Danny, he can spot that run, and that's really his, his quality. I mean, Shaka does it from deep, but that's a little different. But the other thing is... You know, when he can dribble either way and he he isn't yeah, pinned against yeah. the sideline and just cutting onto his right and, and so easily shielded in the one direction, I think those big oafish center forwards don't want to have to defend Alexis w with, you know, both sides of the pitch at, at his disposal. I just think you can you can create a little bit of a, a possibility of him getting past people and, and creating openings to slide a through ball. Look, it's all conjecture. I don't know. I just yeah. think he's still our best option there. Now, look, there's more to get to. So really, really quickly, Clive, I'll stay with you for one second. It, was this game also a reminder that Oxlade-Chamberlain, while having been better as a midfielder than a winger, and while showing the potential that he may have, is still the unfinished article and that it is still really time to dial back the expectations that he can be a, a game changer every week from, from midfield? I, I, I'm a fan of him, so I hold my hands up so I see the good side of him more. And the reason why I like him is I think I think he wins his duels more. I look at our midfielders and I don't think we win our duels. And by that I mean football is a one-on-one -on -one game. And when you see a player that's quick, that can dribble off both feet, that can drive, pass and shoot, he makes you think differently. Uh, some of our players, I've been talking about this online actually, I think some of our players don't have enough technical depth about them. We have too many specialist players, right? So 
I think Oxley Chamberlain is turning into an all-round player. You know, I think he, but the sample size in centre midfield is still small, and I don't think he had a bad game. But maybe you know we have got high expectations on him. But you know, I I'm a big fan of him because I think he challenges the opposition in a slightly different way. And I think if you watch him when he receives the ball, he doesn't get pressed like Francis Cockerland does. And the reason why, because people know he's in control of the football. So what you do is you pick on somebody who hasn't got a competency, maybe gets his head down or under pressure, and you press him. People are not pressing ops on the ball because they know he, can, he wants that contact. He wants body on body. He can roll you, get around you, and then go beyond into the lines. What they do is they, they, they drop in, and they challenge him a different way. They challenge his range of pass. And we probably had great pass tickets at the weekend. I didn't look because I was too depressed. But maybe we needed another dribbler, to someone to drive and dribble. Another reason why I would have liked Alexis Central, because he can beat people. And that's how you move narrow bodies in a block. You have to create stress by beating people. You have to force I someone think... to vacate their their position yeah, to exactly. help a beaten man. And when they do you that, then it. you have to trust the player who's beaten that man to make the, the, the right decision. And I trust Alexis to do that. And it's, it's also a possible reason why we got much less out of Theo. Because I think with Alexis Central, you, you know... <laughs> This is the thing about Cesc Fabregas that always impressed me. He's a player who could find passes between the lines, behind players, in the space, in from from set from from open play as opposed to counterattacking. Right? There are a lot of players that can play the right ball when there's space and and a lot of room to run into. It's very difficult to play the right ball in behind a defense that's compact. Right? Um, and we don't really have players that that can do that that well. And Alexis, ironically, is is one of the best at it. Um, Paul, quick, quick addition on Oxley Chamberlain. Yeah, you know, I, I, I kind of felt this was a game that showed how far Ox has to go in midfield. Not that he had a terrible game. Not that everything well, he no did. Well, no one shined particularly, so I, we're no. not picking on him yet. But, but he had some good moments. But he also had some of those passes where you think, why the fuck did he even try that? And what I think it shows you. You know, you have the cleverness of the Spanish midfielders, the Cazorlas, Silvas, Fabregas, etc., that know when to push it and when not to push it. Um, you know, Ox, we've seen over the last few weeks, can find a, a really telling through ball or a, an arcing ball around the side, but he needs a bit more space. He needs a bit more chaos in midfield. When it's this set, um, this was one of those ca- games where his inexperience, he, he just wasn't patient enough. And he just, he didn't know when, it's the old slow, slow, quick, quick, slow that a Cazorla knows when to do. Ox hasn't a clue uh, how to kind of, kind of l- lull the pace down a bit and then speed it up. Uh, Ramsey's a high tempo guy. And to me, the three of them, there just wasn't enough craft between the three of them, kind of playing off each other and f- finding a rhythm and that's not too surprising because they're kind of new to playing at three, playing with each other. I thought Chaka was really good. Um, but and I didn't think Ox was terrible. But you see, you know, that there's a lot more to playing midfield and having skills, being able to dribble past a guy. There's all of that kind of inbuilt smarts that comes from a really yeah. clever midfield. And I don't think we had... We, Chaka's clever in certain ways, but not in, we didn't have one guy in the three with the Verratti smarts, with the Cazorla smarts, with the Silva smarts, 
where they with know the how to run. with the Urzel smiles. Yeah, with the, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, we we miss, we missed his skill set today, which is yeah. passing when not under pressure. Look, I mean, yeah. he would have he would have dropped it on the sixpence and caused him a lot more trouble. That's at, that's spot him. on. I, I mean, you know, the one thing people have been critical of Ozil, but remember, the two players that exchange the most passes together in our team are Alexis and Ozil. They get each yeah. other involved. Um, no one fills that partnership void when he's gone. Um, and you can say what you want about him defensively or in build up, but if a team is going to sit twenty five, yeah. twenty yards from their goal and not contest the midfield. And you're going to have everyone in the final third. What do you lose by having Ozil in there, right? I mean, nothing, yeah. nothing at all. Now, I, I do think it is starting to become a calamity where this notion that we're going to have eight outfield players in the opposing half, both fullbacks pushed all the way up, and everybody just kind of crab passing it back and forth across the pitch. The minute you lose the ball, it's one long kick up the pitch, and you're two on one or two on two. Um, yeah, and I, you know, I. As much as I'd love to kill Mustafi um, and Ospina and to some extent even Koscielny, you cannot expect central defenders to look great week in, week out, defending in space, two-on-two, two-on-one, three-on-two. It just isn't going to work. Um, but I, look, we're 25 minutes in, and there's more we could get into in this game, but it's just so much is happening around the club right now that I'd almost rather shift to sort of more meta issues. Um, you have any objections, guys, if we kind of shift gears a little bit this is why i've been stalling you talking about football so i got to go to the other stuff. you're you're the guy you're the suicide bomber and i'm trying to keep you talking yeah i'm, the I'm standing I'm on i'm standing on the Washington. ledge and you're trying to talk me down but i got news for you i'm jumping so here we go uh and, and, and clive you I'll start. haven't got the balls here, here the i go clive i'll start with you um you know he's tried the three in midfield he's tried you know Using Coughlin, Giroud, Alexis Central, he brought Danny in, he moved Awobi out. He's trying things, and he's not getting the response. Is this the first time you can remember it being this bad under Arsene, where it really looks like he's scuffling for answers and, and doesn't have a trick up his sleeve to, to get it figured out? It, it looks that way. And um, we first, you know, the first time it really hit you with a stone was probably buying away. And that was the time I. I I started to panic because I looked at the players. I always look at the players for my sort of feedback, and the players seem to disappear and just disappear from the manager. And um, and I think they're trying, but they're not really trying. And you can always tell a player's commitment. Are they prepared to put their head somewhere where they shouldn't to head the ball away? They're not doing that. They're hiding. They're hiding next to each other. They're not making the runs off the ball. They're not making the risky passes. They're playing safe passes. They're not doing the things because they're not confident. They're not confident. They know there's turmoil around the club. And I'm looking at, you know, we're looking at Alexis and he was the one that maybe caused some of the original issues in the club. But you know what? He's out there. He's out there. He's playing. He's playing on with. He's injured. I look at players who are not there, namely Ozil, and ask myself, why are you not there? Why are you not playing for us, but you're reporting for Germany? Have you given up on the major? Is there a divide? I'm wondering what's happened with Lucas Perez. Is he one of the players that's caused a problem with the manager? There's rumours of infighting in the dressing room, infighting at training. You'd kind of hope so, so, to be fair. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what to believe, right? So I'm not going to form an opinion on the back of rumour and conjecture. But none of it's saying um, 
you know, all the lads went out for a night out and a bonding session. I didn't hear that rumour come out. So um, there's obviously something not quite right there. And, um, Only one they try and keep quiet, to be honest. I've got to tell I you, to, squad harmony for me is, is overplayed. I mean, you look at Chelsea last year, and it was supposed to, supposedly in Turnacine Warfare, and you look at them this year, and it's the same team plus Conte and, and what, they all love each other now? I just think... When you're playing well and your manager sets you out to win and things are going well for you, that's what you care about, right? I mean, none of these guys need to be best friends on the pitch or off the pitch. No, they, they, they don't. And um, I suppose the thing that really concerns me, just as, this, it's a shame that Tim's not here, actually, because I really wanted to ask him a few thoughts about this. Just what he saw from the players' body language on, at West Brom, because it just looks to me like as soon as there's a bit of adversity, there's nothing there. There's like no, there's no, there's nothing. We just look devoid. You know, Tim's gone a bit ozel on us. Yeah, and Tim would have. He, he was our secret uh, Tony Pula's and... confidant who didn't show up actually. <laughs> and um, and yeah, I just uh, what I'm seeing on the TV screen is a divide between the players and the manager, and and not the commitment that we need. And no matter what he does for systemic wise and moving people around. As soon as the first thing goes wrong, there's there's nothing left. Yeah, and it, it is tempting to shape your opinion based on the, the prevailing narrative. The one thing I will say is this this loss to West Brom, it's not a, a result or a performance we haven't seen before. I mean, in many ways, it was very reminiscent of away trips to Tony Stoke. Pulis's Stoke. The difference <laughs> is it comes on the heels of so many... I mean... So many bad performances, and if you take away non-league clubs, our last results are concede three, concede five, concede three, concede five, concede three. That's yeah. not good. So so many bad results, so many bad performances, but so many second-half collapses after okay, good, or decent, or pretty good first half. What I would half. say, I mean, Paul, is what's worrying about that is the minute adversity struck, we collapsed in every instance, yeah. um, and yeah. that's not a good sign. Well, let me ask you this, Paul. Um I guess the interesting thing, you know, Alexis takes this kick. He comes out for the second half. He plays for a while. He gets taken off. The manager after the match says his ankle's in horrible shape. You know, it has to be amputated. We're going to replace it with a a, a, a hoof of some kind, some kind of cloven animal. Um, is this just more of the weird management relationship between Alexis and Wenger that you go into the locker room at halftime or the dressing room, uh, depending on where you live, and... You see a guy whose ankle's all busted up and, and in terrible shape, and presumably he shouldn't be playing on it, and you send him out for another 20 minutes or 25 minutes. I mean, is, is that kind of indicative of, of where this relationship is, that it just seems the manager is unsure of how to control, manage, make decisions on behalf of the player? Maybe, but I'm going to go with no. I mean, okay. if, you, if we're going to – obviously we could take the negative aspect of everything – and well, I mean, you don't take him off if you're chasing the game, right? If he's perfectly fine, yeah. you don't. You, you, he wouldn't yeah. take him off there. So presumably, it was related to the injury, and he knew about yeah, yeah. the injury at ha- at halftime. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying if I have to pick somewhere, I'd say you know, there's probably a good answer for this one. This is one that felt like um, the manager could see we needed Alexis. He said Alexis um, uh, was determined to play, and Really, only the player, you know, until they do a scan or they give it 24 hours, uh, he made it clear they didn't know what, what the bruising meant. Was it, 
Was it just a kick on the ankle, which was what they suspected and hoped, or was it ligaments? And I don't think there's a clean answer for that one. And so they go with the player. The player insisted he wanted to play. Here's the positive side of that. Alexis wanted to play. So when we're talking about the relationship between manager and player, um, I mean, Alexis always wants to play. He'd probably play if he hated the manager. I don't suspect they hate each other. I suspect there, that there's a great deal of respect between them. He, even he's never had a tremendous relationship with any of his club managers, as far as I'm aware. I mean, he's going to be a challenge to manage. So I yeah. think as long as he and, wants to play hard, that that's basis, all that matters. On that basis, Wenger has done pretty well. Because to me, I don't sense any personal animos between the two of them. There might be plenty of frustrations, issues, etc. But, you know, well, that's... Yeah. On that topic, then, if because I, I, I think that's that's good enough. I, I I tend to agree with you there. But then, look, earlier in the season, Paul, if you asked anybody who's staying and who's going, you would have said Alexis is going and Ozil is staying. He loves it in London. The noises are he's already signed a contract. We were just waiting for it to be announced. And now, I mean, I, I think where there's smoke, there's fire in this case. You have to believe that the way he's been managed since January, something is amiss. So I'll just give you the softball, which is what what the hell do you think is going on with Messi? I have no idea what's going on with, with Messett. I, I, I mean... Something is, though, right? Like, th- at this point, you're not prepared to believe that every injury story has been true, that, I mean, a- everything we've been told is straightforward. I-, I assume at this point you believe there is something below the surface there? Uh, no, I'd say there might be something... Be- I, I, it's as easy to believe there is as there isn't. Uh, the thing is, here, here's our problem something's wrong. Something's terribly, terribly wrong in this team. We only know a few things, and so we're going to those things. Um, To me, the main issue is this. There's something wrong with our big players and the relationship within the squad. That's the difference between now and every other year when we've turned things around, where Wenger has got in the minds of the players. He might have had a a poor first two-thirds of the season, but he kind of gets everybody rallied and pointed in the same direction. And to me, it can only be the top of our squad that's causing the problems, be it, is it Ozil, is it Alexis, is it some combination of the two of them, is it enough in each uh, area there that it's just, it puts us over the tipping point. But something's terribly, terribly wrong. I don't know if it's Ozil. I mean, doesn't he want to play? Don't we want him to play? I mean, what would... to you, what's the scenario that explains Ozil not playing beyond? I mean, you know? it, it could be. Look, we know that Arsene Wenger completely froze Theo out during a contract dispute, um, and it, it could be his approach to the contract negotiation. You know, you're not going to play until it's resolved. I don't trust you until it's resolved. I think your performances have reflected a lack of commitment to the cause. So until we resolve your contract issue, you're not in my team. Um, it could be. There are revelations in his book that the club are aware of, and they just can't have him in the squad as a result of that. He says something about his teammates. He says something about his manager. It could be that he's off, and he's already declared that he's off, and the manager doesn't trust him to play him given the the precarious position we're in. It could be nothing. But, but of if course, he doesn't I, play, a, so look at a quick answers to the three. You know that he had options when he froze Theo out. The question is, does he think he has options right now with those? Well, I don't think he has the luxury of options. So I don't think option uh, scenario one works in this scenario. Scenario three, even if he's off as long as he keeps his mouth shut, 
the manager needs to get us over the line this season because he's des- he's clearly desperate to uh, salvage the season and to salvage his uh, opportunity to manage again next year. So I don't think one in three cover it, but maybe yeah, and revelations in the book. I guess we'll find out in that one, but I can't imagine Ozil's been that stupid. I, so, I have no idea, I, obviously. So well, well, yeah. let's do this. Let's let Paul. Uh, and that's and that that. So in short, that's my problem. I can't come up with a scenario that makes sense. I think it's a bit of all this shit. And the bottom line is these guys don't believe in each other because there's an issue with one or two of our be- best players at the club. Yeah, whatever it is. Clive, you want to hit on either or both issues? Well, it, it seems like there's an issue with a number of players at the club, and um, let's call it as it is. You know, our manager is there to manage the players, to manage our football inside, to prepare us for football matches. And at the moment, we've seen broken relationships with the players. We've seen a lack of preparation off the ball for football matches. We've had the, the worst run in 21 years. Our top assets in the club, Ozil and Sanchez, our highest signings, our highest wage earners, both of them are in a situation contractually where they are in a stronger position. That means we have no idea of our playing strategy for the next season and no idea how to attract players. We're not well positioned in the league. And you know, we're looking at the individual players. Well, I'm, maybe we've got to call it as it is. Let's look at the, the manager. He's, he's, not doing his, he's not doing his job. He's not doing his job. He's regardless of what happened previously, he has not managed his big personalities very, very well at all. And now they feel emboldened enough to not play football matches, to have arguments at training. They are feeling more and more emboldened and other players will see this and they'll look for excuses and they'll protect their legs. They won't put their legs into the challenges they're going to get their That's legs broken. They won't put their heads in the box against six foot four giants from West Brom. They'll just duck, let it go over them. They won't block runners into the penalty box. They won't go and engage people early. They won't make the risky pass. What they'll do, players will do, is they'll look after themselves. They'll make sure they get a six out of ten, and they'll move on from there. And they'll clap the fans, two little claps, and they'll walk to the tunnel and get on the coach. And that's how it goes, until somebody calls them to order. That's what Chelsea were doing last season. Somebody came along and said, that's not acceptable. And um, he's turned it around. I actually can. I'm more concerned about this group because I actually don't think our players are as talented as we think they are. I think we overrate them. I think we've got an issue physically, speed-wise, intensity-wise, and mentally. And I think we. I think some of that can come from the leadership, the management. A lot of that is down to the, the profile of players that we buy. We've got too many nice boys from Southampton that I wouldn't wouldn't mind my older daughters to marry, but I want different players to play for my football team. My favourite player is Patrick Vieira. I want players like him in our football team that dominate people, that want to make people think about what they're going to do next. And we have we've moved away from that. And um, and West Brom now feel as though they've not beaten a top is it a top ten team or top seventeen mm. all season yeah. until they played us. And and they knew it. They fancied it. They knew they could bully us. This has been happening for 10-plus years with Pulis teams, and we don't learn. We're watching our fullback stand. We're watching Bellerin stand 10 yards away from Theo Walcott. Theo Walcott's in the inside right channel, completely crowded out. No space. 
absolutely pointless. Bellerin's high. What for? So he can knock it back to the centre midfielder and go out the other side. As soon as we lose it, Bellerin and Monreal high, 2-1-1. I mean, this is just Charles' play. I mean, Rondon ran into the space all day long. Rondon, he's average. But if you give him 20 yards of space to run into, he's a, he's a, he's a genius, right? He's a physical, hard-running footballer that likes space to run into. And no centre-backs want to be defending in space against a centre-forward of any kind 35 exactly. yards out from their goal. <laughs> exactly, and we're forcing our centre-backs. I know Tim wrote a blog on this recently, but we're forcing our centre-backs to be one-on-one geniuses. And, uh, and it's been going on too long. We've got no defensive strategy. We've got no strategy off the ball. You know, all you got to do is a simple little trick. You just have three back, you have two in wide spaces, one down the middle, and you make sure you ring the box correctly to stop the counter-attack. You have players in your team that can stop the counter-attack. And you respect both sides of the game. And I'm afraid we don't. We don't. As we, I think even as fans, we're, we, we're brainwashed into being purists. You know, we're brainwashed. We all saw the team and we loved it. But off the ball, that team is shocking. And, and we know it now. And um, West Brom, it's approved it. And it's, it's a shame. Yeah, you know what, though? You go back to the 2007-8 team that, that went close, or at least close by our last 10 years standards, and that team didn't defend very well, honestly. But boy, were they a hell of a good team to watch in possession. And, you know, Hleb and Rosicki and, and, Ch- and Sesk and Adebayor, and, you know, that team knew how to occupy space. It had balance. It had technical quality, and, and it used the pitch well and spread itself across the pitch well um you know that's not happening right now and i don't know if it's because the quality isn't there but i think you made a good point clive about overrating our players because i guarantee you if you ask a liverpool player is oxlade chamberlain better than adam milano or is shaka better than henderson or is you you know take your pick is um i'm trying to think of a a good example wide player for theo you know is well i would certainly take sadio mane over over theo walcott i mean you know, Liverpool's a team we often think, oh, we have a better squad than them. I mean, is is Ox better than Deli Alley? Is, you know, is Shaka be- better than, well, Dembele wouldn't be the, the comparison. I'm doing a, a really good job at this. But you yeah. get my point. Like, you can go through their teams, and I don't think we are better quality-wise anymore. And you look at it because part of the problem is players like Aaron Ramsey reached a height that had us thinking he could be one of the top ten midfielders in the world a few seasons ago. He hasn't kicked on. Um, a lot of these players showed the the uh, promise or the potential, but never kicked on. And I think some of that is how you put them in their positions to succeed. Um, they also, Elliot, I, I think they lack fear factor. They don't make you scared. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's fair. Aaron, Aaron Ramsey doesn't scare you anymore. He's not in that form. You know, people can go with him. They can run with him. Two, three years ago, he would outrun anybody. He's not outrunning anybody anymore. You know, teams are outrunning us. You know, teams used to be scared of Theo Walcott's speed. There are fast fullbacks now that can track him. All they do is give him the wide spaces and say, come into the crowd. The outer-in run won't work here, mate. You come in here and we'll boss you off. You know, people have watched our players for so long, they know how to counter them. They've been there too long. We need to freshen it up. They've been there too long without achieving what they needed to achieve. Yeah. And we overrate them, man. It's a great shout. I used to argue with my mates about who's better, Ross Barkley or Jack Wilshire. And I would support Jack all day long. I'm looking at Jack, you know, not getting the Bournemouth team. I mean, 
we've got we've got a problem. We've got a problem. They are not kicking on, and we've got to be honest about the competencies and the technical depth of the players that we have. Yeah, we're we're we playing guys. Re- I'm sorry. Go ahead, Clive. We're not as rounded as we think we are. No. You know, uh, another good example is Willian. Willian, a rounded player, maybe not as fast as Theo Walcott, doesn't score as many goals, but his technical depth is 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 better. He can play left, he can play right. He's equally as good on both sides. He can use both feet well. He can dribble. He can turn back to goal. He's just got more competencies. Now, Theo Walcott's got the goals in a certain scenario. If we play him in when Alexis was sent forward, if we play him into the, in the out-to-win run, he scores a similar type goals all the time. And I'm afraid it's not enough to have too many specialists in our team. We can't manage a team of specialists they need to be a perfect day we won't win leads without rounded technical players yeah absolutely and i think part of the reason we overrate our players is because they're ours and we want to believe in them i mean just look at the tweets and the excitement and the enthusiasm for lucas when we signed him and oh well look turns out we're not going to use him um you know i mean i i do think it all comes down to what the manager gets out of you because you can't tell me that Moses is the best player to ever play football, but look at what they're getting out of him at Chelsea. And a great example is James Milner. I mean, look at James Milner turn into one of the fullbacks of the league under Klopp. Now, I'm not saying Liverpool are having the greatest season in history or even will finish top four, but can you imagine James Milner being a good fullback in our squad? <laughs> I, I can't. Um, anyway, Paul, uh, let's get to the important pressing issues of uh, aviation. Um, we got planes flying banger out banners. We got planes flying banger in banners. We've gone full banter. I think the club has gone full banter. I'm going to give you my theory, and I want your uh, response to it, whether you agree or disagree. My theory is this. The club wants Arson to stay. Arson wants to stay. There is a contract on the table. He has either signed it or wants to sign it. What they are waiting for is a turn in form that is good enough or a highlight of the season, or a high point that is high enough to make that announcement and make that decision. So, get past City in the FA Cup semi, or beat Spurs away, or potentially win the FA Cup, and they'll feel they can do that. As it stands right now, they just know they don't have the goodwill to do it, that it would be impossible to justify. Do you think it is something the club want to do and the manager wants to do, and it will be inevitable, provided that enough good moments come out of the remainder of the season or do you think it's genuinely up for grabs or he's leaving what what at this point based on all the noise because you know Pulis said oh he told me after the match he's going to stay and now we see the club seems to be briefing that he wants to stay and the players are saying he wants to stay I mean is it just a matter of needing a, a moment of positivity when they can announce it without a thorough backlash so I've always I, I think if you if you were to go through the pause and find the 19 or 20 times we talked about it, I've always thought Wenger would resign or wanted to resign, and that the arc of the season was all about waiting till the final third of the season when we were doing well enough, and then they would uh, bring it out and announce that, hey, we're doing well, you know, we're we're second or third, we're we're not. We're not going to win it this year, but we're in contention. We're still in the FA Cup, and they'd roll it out. Here's what I think. I think it's beyond that now. I think Wenger said in the post-presser that we would know his answer soon, and he had made up his mind. Uh, They were waiting until the ship got a little closer to the dock 
so that it was a safer jump. Now the ship just seems to be drifting further and further apart. This uncertainty, um, the theory before was if we do a little better, it'll look a little better. Now, you know, it's only getting uglier. So uh, to me, it's pretty clear what's going to happen. They're not going to wait till it gets any better. They're going to announce it and very soon because this situation needs clarity and the original theory was wait till things get better. They've now realized it ain't getting better and the uncertainty is going to kill us yeah. and they need clarity. He needs to take a position. He needs to be able to stand in front of that squad and say, all right, I'm here. I'm here next year. But but don't you think, Paul, that like the, the manager wants to stay? I certainly believe that, but that he is just self-aware enough to realize like this could get pretty ugly and I need to hold off on this decision to see if we can turn this around or do you think it's kind of a foregone conclusion now? It's a foregone conclusion. I what, really think Do you make anything of the reports of like Tuckle, you know, I mean Bill no. says Tuckle was reached out. Well, See, because so, Bill is usually pretty reliable. I, I think it's Sports Build that the one that isn't in Build is, but like I mean, uh, is it possible the manager still has the club in the dark a little bit? Uh, I don't think so. I think, I think it's probably very clear internally, uh, and I've always, I pretty much always felt that. I think the Tuchel thing, there might be something or nothing there, but I don't think it's for next year. Um, I could imagine them talking to him and saying, "Hey, you know, let's keep talking. Um, you're the kind of person we're we like. Uh, you know, let's we're seeing other people but let's kind of go out in a date or two see how we get on see if we like each other see if we'd like to be get a little more involved arson won't be here forever uh we think he'll be here next year you know arson could turn around and say all right fuck it i know i said i'm gonna i was gonna sign for you guys arsenal i know that was a plan but actually i can't stomach stomach it so it would be entirely appropriate to build a relationship with Tuchel over time with the view to two or three years out and others like him, but also assuming we don't lose him then to, you know, wherever he goes. I mean, he's, he's basically been making eyes life. with every big club that, he possibly yeah. can. Yeah, but that's life, but there'll be another Tuchel. You can't, you no, can't of, go of in course. there. I just meant yeah. if you have a guy that you see, here's my, because ultimately what I'm building up to there, Paul is the club owes themselves the responsibility of getting it right, not Arson. You, you got to take care of Arsenal, not Arson Wenger. And so, if you believe Tuchel is the guy to take the club forward, if you like him, if that's who you want, and I'm not saying I think he is or isn't. I'm saying if the club believe that, then rather than waiting on whatever Arson decides and potentially missing out, the club has to step up and say, Arson, we found a guy we want to go forward with. We think the time is now. Thank you for your service. Um, yeah, yeah, but the whole supposition is that you've decided he's the guy. Well, I'm not saying. I'm just saying if that's the whereas, case. Whereas, yeah, but I'm saying it's not the case. Okay. I'm, um, I'm saying they're kissing a few frogs that they really like, building relationships. Um, if if Arsenal go, if Arsenal goes belly up on them and decides he can't stomach it, they ha- they've had at least some dialogue. But they're really thinking about two to three years out. It's crazy. I mean, to be fair, that we're even having to debate it like this in you know, late March. Um, Clive... I don't think we are, though. Uh, I think you, you we think it's are done. debating it. But you think but it's done? Cl- you think it's done, yeah. Okay, okay, no, that's fine. Um, Clive, I don't know if you'd be aware of this, but uh, one of Stan Kroenke's clubs <laughs> here in the United States is um, the LA Rams. They used to be the same. I Rams am Rams. aware. I am aware. And uh, he had a coach, Jeff Fisher, was there for a very long time. Just got rid of him. Just yeah, well, him, but he? here's the point. He was a man who was 
horrendously mediocre and relating him to Arsene or comparing him to Arsene Wenger does Arsene a massive disservice. So I don't want anyone who is aware of the situation to read into this as me saying they are analogous to each other, but the situation is somewhat. Uh, the manager there, the coach, was horrendously mediocre, um, had produced virtually nothing, just staggering in his ability to maintain well, an 8-8 eight eight season, a 500 season, which in the NFL, is, you know, you're not terrible, you're not getting into the playoffs. Um they gave him an extension at a time when there was tremendous criticism of him, and the backlash to it was so massive that they felt they had no choice, but they let him go almost immediately thereafter. I think the point is Stan Kroenke likes to just have the stability of keeping a guy in place and, and punting on these decisions, and you know he, he, he delegates a lot of that responsibility to those individuals. Um, yeah. Do you see the same thing happening here? I mean, it, it, this is a decision that is entirely arson's. Do you think it's made? I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm really not sure, but I, I've got a couple of theories on this, um, and I, know, I do know the LA Rams story, and um, and it, I, 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 I know that story very intimately, and, and and Wenger came to mind the minute I saw that, you know, he came to mind. But what I, what am I seeing here? I'm seeing a club that's been laid bare, right? So if he signs, that tells me that our club is not the club I think it is. Because that means we have not planned for the future. We have no succession plan. We are not ready for change. Or it could tell me, despite all this fan turmoil, we're going to do things the Arsenal way. If you look at that statement that potentially came out today, which is like a, a source is speaking to Sky News, to say that we will let you know at the appropriate time in the appropriate way. That is so Arsenal, that is. That is so elitist. That is so... Another statement that disconnects the fans away from the club. And I just think all this fan turmoil could be hardening the board's views to keep him. I think they're not going to let this man be hounded out. And maybe it might reduce the contract by a year, but they're not going to let it happen by fan vitriol and backlash. And I think the more vitriol and backlash that comes down, the more likely he is he's going to sign. And that sounds crazy, but that is Arsenal. That is the Arsenal way. Except we I think to... that gives the club more credit than they deserve for making the decision. Because to uh, me, I think the decision is, Arsene, we've always wanted you to stay and you just decide what you want to do. Yeah, exactly. They, they refuse to conform to the new modern football norm where a manager has three-year cycles. They refuse to conform to that. They have a different hierarchy, a different structure, a different accountability. Where, where does that leave it us then? But then, but then where does that leave us? It, it, it frustrates the hell out of me. Uh, and I don't like it. I like I like clear accountability, clear measures, clear responsibility, clear job titles, clear clear responsibilities, clear roles. I like that. And if you're not doing your job, you're not in your job. Wherever you are, whether you be a technical director, whether you be the physio, whether you be the academy director, whether you're director of football, whatever it is, you don't do your job, you're not in your job. Because we are paying elite money. We've got the four or five wage bill. We're paying elite money. And we are asking elite money from the fan base to go and watch the club. So I expect elite organizational structure and hierarchy and accountabilities. Mm -hmm. And that's what I expect. And when you do that, you know, when you go to a top restaurant, you, you're not expecting rubbish. You're expecting a decent quality of food. And when you don't get it, you ask for, you ask for another. You don't go there again and give a bad review. right? And they don't they go out of business. It's as simple as that. If you demand top quality, you pay top dollar. 
there should be top accountability. So at the moment, there isn't. And so we have a structure which is, which was opaque, which is now not so opaque. And I'm wondering, this club that we all love, what's really there? What is really there? Are we a one-man band? Oh, I think that's, that's pretty clear. Like. It certainly looks that way. Yeah, and that's, look, that's, what it looks, that's what it looks like to all of us. When push comes to shove, if you have a decision that you have made and you are convinced it is the right decision, and it is an important one for people to know, not just the fans, but the players and backroom staff and players you're targeting, then you announce it. And the fact that they aren't yeah. announcing it, to me, is a capitulation to fans, right? It is saying we realize there's going to be a ride on our hands if we announce it now, but... There's no guarantee it gets better. You either believe you've made the right decision or you don't. You know, for Arsenal to say, oh, I've made my decision and I'll announce it very soon, I mean, that's insane. That's not... Where does that come from? Well, I think it is insane, Paul, because my point is, if you've made your decision, announce it. If it's the right decision, then tell us. I think something... I think things have changed rapidly over the last week or so. I think Arsenal has shifted from thinking he'll he'll announce it in whatever four weeks or six weeks time or uh, haven't even looked at the calendar. What would be the reason for waiting? Just give me, give me a reason before? why waiting is right. Well, no, I, I mean, like, but, but, for, but for the players, on, for the fans, for, for, for targeting future transfers, like, isn't yeah, the longer think, you have clarity yeah. helpful? Well, I don't know if you missed the turn in the sentence that was about to come, which is, they're going to announce it really quickly now. Things have just changed. The ship has moved to a distance that he's not sure he can make that jump from the, Paul, from the when dock. You say when you say they are going to announce it, who, who are they? This, Arson this, this and not, the club. Right, but I mean, it's Arson. It's Arson. It's Arson, yeah, exactly. It well, the club's the club. made their... Well, no, there's two sides to it. The club had already made their decision, which is... We we'll want keep, to stay. We want Arson. And they could always change their mind, but they won't. And so it's basically down to Arsene to commit. And even if both sides have already decided, it's down to both sides to determine when's politically the best time to talk about it. So there's still a decision to be made. There's the timing. And that's gone from, oh, let's leave it another few weeks. Let's leave it another few weeks to, holy fuck, right, we need clarity because this is getting worse. So they're going to tell us really soon. Um, The reason why I said, sorry, the reason why I said, who who are they? Because we're not hearing from Kazidis. We're not hearing. We had a little three-line statement from our... From I Sir know Chips. a lot of people are upset about that, but I don't really give a fuck. To me, it's quite clear. When Sir Chips talks, we know what it means. They decided to pick the most neutral guy who's not going to get a bunch of shit like Gazidis would to say it. Now, you might say, I'd prefer if Gazidis had said it, but it's the same fucking deal to me. No, I, I hear what you're saying. I'll just, I'll just claim back on what you said they... I think I have this thing in my mind. I want there to be a structure. I want there to be a layer of people that he's accountable to. But I'm just not sure because I love my football, but I love other sports as well, like rugby and basketball and NFL. And I've never heard, I've never, I've never heard any head coach come out and say in a press conference, I will tell you my decision really soon. I mean, what is all that about? I've that never heard that. Strange. That's oh, you tell me another example where a manager that's in a, having a losing year, the worst, the worst results in twenty years, can come out and say, "I'll let you know what I'm going to do in the near future." 
I just can't think of one. Let me say this. What it certainly clarifies. What it certainly clarifies, Paul, I I think what it does, it clarifies that the decision is entirely his, that an offer has been made for him to stay, that the club is happy for him to stay. Now, that may not be revelation. That's not revelatory information to a lot of people, but I'm just making the point that for the manager to be able to say that is the clearest possible sign that the ball is in his court, the decision is in his hands, and the club are happy for him to stay. Um, yeah, but but for let's better be or worse, grown up, let, you know, I don't I don't mean this at you guys, but let's be grown up about yeah. it. We already know that it's basically down to ours, and that the club has made the decision. In fact, let's be fair: the club has said they made their decision. The club says they want Arson, don't they? Yeah, no, I don't I, remember I, that. I, I mean, I, I, I so, don't remember so, that. To be honest. <laughs> No, seriously, I don't remember that. We all assume there there's is a contract a, on the table. So, we all yeah, you know, hang on, hang on. There is no, there's no way that the club's official position is, we're not sure if we want the manager or not. That would be fucking nuclear. No, I think his point was that he wasn't sure that there was an official position, per se. That they've I ever come out and specifically state, said, I don't think they've actually stated it. We've decided we want Arsene Wenger to stay, and it's up yeah. to him what he decides. Like, I don't, I don't think they've... So back to- Back yeah. to the grown-ups. We know we already know there's no question on the club side, nor would we expect there to be, nor is that cloak and daggers. Clearly, the cl- club's position is they want arson. Other than anything else would undermine that, him. They, I mean, the truth what? is they, they could empower him by saying, at the highest level of this club, we have analyzed our successes and failures and believe Arsene Wenger is still the man to carry us forward, and should he decide to stay, we're happy to have him. I mean, that... They that would certainly what? They don't need to. Everybody knows the club's Wait, position. Wait, but Paul, I mean, that's like saying I don't need to tell my wife I love her because she already knows. Like there is, there's a benefit. Um, which, by the way, hang on, I got to do something real quick, guys. I'll be right back. Um, uh, there is a benefit. So it's not so- like that, Elliot. That's like you having to tell me that you love your wife. The, cl- um, the club has already told are, Arson are you that they her behind love my him, back? and Arson has told the club. This is the third party. This is the public, right? Well, but but we are a party to the relationship, right? I mean, unlike the marriage example, like we are a party to, we are the the yes, party. But I'm in the relationship. incredulous that you think the club has left any doubt out there. I think if the you believe that because you follow Arsenal every day, because they are 100 percent clear, as is everybody else, of the club's position. There's no doubt over I the mean, club's position. Can, can I can I just just walk that back for a second? I mean, I think we all believe that. We all believe that wholeheartedly yep. because we follow the club so intimately and we all just have yep. drawn the conclusion. I will find you some statements that are pretty clear okay. saying the club wants arson. I'm, I'm open, to, I'm open to, uh, to interpreting this differently. I think I'm just saying that for the club, because here's the other thing, Paul. The club has to at least maintain the appearance of having a power structure that is above arson, even if it is not the case. It is bad for a club to not even have the appearance of control at the highest levels. And I think what happens when you let a manager say, I'll announce my decision prior to the club announcing their decision is that you eliminate any suggestion that there is a power structure above the manager. I just think if the club came out, if Ivan Gazeta said, as a board, we have decided unanimously that Arsene Wenger is the right man to carry Arsene forward. We have made him a contract offer. He's considering his options. We respect his right to make that decision after 20 years, and we'll accept whatever his decision is. Then at least it says we have a power structure. We've made a decision, and now the manager can decide how he feels about our decision. And again, we, this may be just semantics, Paul, but I do think a big problem at Arsenal, and going forward can be a massive problem at Arsenal, because Wenger's going to leave at some point, is the perception 
that there is no footballing control other than the manager at any level. See, I, I think that's a fair point. But I don't think there's any confusion but you won't about concede the it. club's <laughs> position on the manager. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, uh, and I think we have – here's my other point. I think we get all upset about all sorts of shit, but the issues are much simpler. Uh, and I think Look, I'm not flying a plane over any of this. <laughs> okay. yeah. I'm, not, I'm not going up in the skies with this stuff. <laughs> God knows as wordy as I am, man, you'd need like 10 planes to carry the banners to make a small point for me. So, you know, I'd, yeah. I'd lo- the, de- the jet fuel alone would bankrupt me. Um Look, we've got a long layoff until our next football, and, and April is an absolutely brutal month. So let me just close with this. And, Clive, I'll, I'll throw it over to you for, for sort of a final word. Do you have any confidence that this manager, who so often has pulled it out of the fire, who has found a way, who has solved the problem, even sometimes at the 11th hour, will do so again this season? Or do you believe this is when all the water caves in the roof, that it's just be- between – behind-the-scenes issues and contract issues and uncertainty and tactical challenges and the quality of the people chasing us for the top four, that this is the season when it when it falls apart. Yeah, I have to say, I suspect it for a while now, this is a season when it falls apart. One, because what I'm seeing with my own eyes, um, what I'm seeing <clears throat> emotionally between the players and the manager and not between each other. And two, if you look at all the number data, all the shots on target, supremacy data, how many shots we're conceding, how many shots we're, we're on target we're actually having. You look at all the information, everything's pointing to a team that's way below its levels. Where we're high is on efficiency, but we're way below our levels. We're getting dribble pass. Everything's, everything's not there. Everything's not there. It can change. There's an example of Leicester City. It can change. But I really feel this is the year when we may take a deep breath and say, you know what, let's aim for seventh. Let's have a mental reset hopefully not be in Europe and have a real challenge next year. I can promise that, you, that, if we finish outside of the Europa League places, we will definitely win the FA Cup and get into the Europa League. Yeah, <laughs> or someone will give us a, someone will give it to us for fair play or something like that. Right? No, Sha- Shaq is out. Shaq is on a one-man uh, one <laughs> mission to prevent that from happening. Um, but but uh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I mean, but I, I, I agree with you. Are you. You got anything else to add to that? Yeah, I just want I just want to see a reset. I don't want to see a reset mentally. There's talent in this club. There's talent on the playing staff. I don't agree with all the players that we have, but you know what? That's a debate. That's what makes football. But um, there's talent in this club. More talent than we've had for many many years. We've had we've had many discussions in the past about this is the best squad we've ever had, and here we're sitting here looking at some of the worst numbers we've seen in 20 years. Something's not right with the manager. Something's not right with relationships and. Um, I think this is a year when it all gets laid bare. Yeah, look, it's it's that that same XG data that kind of predicted that we should have been winning the league, you know, February of last season, and then we faded, and I think we came second in that category and finished second in the league. This season, it's got a sixth, I believe, um, and that's kind of where we're trending. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, yeah. April gives us the chance to totally change the mood around the club, revitalize the club, give us a top four finish, give us an FA Cup final, give us a win at Spurs. It equally gives us the chance to drift down into a place we haven't been under Arsene Wenger, um, which would make it very challenging indeed if the club is waiting for the right moment to make this announcement uh, for them to announce it. Paul, last words. um, Which way do you see April going? As our rebirth or uh, as our unbirth? Lack of birth? Still still birth. (laughs) Yeah, which way? 
Well, I think you summarized it right. It could go either way, but the current trend is down. And I've never felt that way at this stage in a season before. Uh, because the difficulty is seeing how can he put the pieces back together, given the that downward spiral, that massive funk. So uh, it's going to be interesting. But yes, I'm pessimistic. Well, there you have it. Paul's pessimistic, so that means surely you should be too, listener. Uh, my name is Elliot Smith. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to cover what is the soap opera that is Arsenal. I apologize that we did not cover um, the aviation issues in more detail. We did not get to the Hong Kong supporters that uh, paid for the Arsenal banner. We will try to do that next time. Um, but we'll probably uh, not do anything during the international break unless something huge happens. It's just worthy of a pod. So there you go. There's your good news. Uh, I want to thank Clive for coming on. Uh, he is on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Loved it. Ah, loved every second of it. Uh, and that is due entirely to Paul's contribution. You can find Paul on Twitter at uh, Posin in My Pants. Thanks, Posin. <laughs> Pleasure. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks. Hey, give us a review. Five stars, preferably. Uh, five and a half stars is okay, too. Six stars is perfectly fine. The counting shall be five. Never shall the counting be less than five. Um, Remember, write something nasty about Clive in the comments. We need to initiate him. Uh, We'll be back after the international break, everybody. Try not to jump off the building just yet. Save that for me. Cheers. Cheers.